jumping back into the book of James. So this morning, um, we, we've been walking through uh, this verse by verse. And in doing that, we want to just understand the context of what was being said um, at that time to those believers and how we can apply it to our lives. What I love about uh, preaching in this way is that it's something that we can always replicate. Um, I love, uh, you know, last week we heard an awesome topical message from Pastor Ryan. Give it up for Pastor Ryan. Hopefully we all still feel encouraged. I know I do. Um, but I, I like especially, uh, you know, I think that that's always uh, a helpful tool and a helpful thing that we get to kind of mix it up because that way we, you know, don't get bland with the way that we do things. But, um, but also there's certain topics that can be so powerfully addressed if we just lean into those. But then preaching this way, um, we also are able to replicate that at home because we might not know uh, how to take one topic and find a bunch of verses that go with it and try to figure out how that goes. But what we can do is dig uh, into the scripture, into the passage that we read and start to absorb and understand based on what came before it, what came after it. You guys, we can all uh, do that. So that's one thing I love about that. But the book of James um, has been a challenging book. I think it's been encouraging definitely, but it has been challenging. A lot of talk in conversation about uh, trials probably needed a week of encouragement in there to get us through this. No, I'm just kidding. But um, anyway, we're in James chapter one. I want to get catch you guys up just a little bit with context. Um, got a little kid's book up here. But uh, anyway, um, so James is writing, and this is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to a group of believers that are persecuted Jews that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of their faith in Christ, they're being persecuted. And so they are having to leave their homes. They're being scattered out. And James uh, was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So many of these people, these believers that he's writing to him, uh, used to uh, go to his church. He was their pastor. So it's, it's like... Um, uh, it's like if someone were to pastor for many years and then write a letter to the people, even though they've been spread out here and there, that's what James is doing with these believers. But he knows that he's writing into a situation of people that are seriously going through it. People who have had to leave homes, people who have had to uh, have relationships burnt, uh, people that have mistreated them solely because of their faith in Jesus Christ, even their Jewish brothers and sisters probably don't treat them as well as they used to because of their newfound faith in Jesus as the Messiah that the Old Testament promised. So, so much is happening in these believers' lives. But James write, writes into that with the purpose of seeing these believers mature in the process of the trials that they're facing and experiencing. In chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, James is teaching us the value of trials how as born again believers, uh, we don't have to be victims of our trials, but we can be victors through Jesus Christ. And that trials actually have the uh, an immense life-changing value. They have the ability to lead us into good and perfect things that God has designed for us to step into as believers. So to catch us up, uh, trials, we saw in verse one through four that trials can produce endurance. And then in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 5 through 11, we saw that trials can also produce, produce wisdom. 
And today I want to back up to verse 12 and read from 12 to 18. Uh, but our main passage will be verses 16 through 18. So let's start by reading verse 12. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If not, it should be on the screen behind me. So James chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray and we'll dive into this word. Lord Jesus, um, thank you so much that you are uh, not only our creator, but God, you're our sustainer. God, that you're our savior. Thank you for um, loving the world so much that you, you would send your son Jesus to die for us, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved so that we could be offered life in your name, Jesus. We're grateful for that. We come together to worship you for the life that you've given us, God, to worship you for who you are. God, I pray that um, just understanding that as I walk into this room, I'm surrounded by people who have gone through trials, are experiencing trials now, and, and you give us as believers hope, and you give us wisdom in how we can respond to those trials differently than the world does. So God, as, as we dive into this word this morning, I pray that you would um, open our hearts, help us to be receptive to what your word says. God, I pray that you'd remove uh, anything that I would say that would distract or take away from what your word says. God, I pray that you would just use me as a vessel to communicate your truth to this body of believers. We all need you, God. I pray that you'd humble our hearts. We recognize we're nothing without you. God, none of us um, have anything to boast about except for you and your grace. So we love you, Jesus. We pray that you would absolutely transform us more and more into the image of Christ. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, James is writing about, you know, trials. And I was thinking this, this past week about um, when I was probably in my early 20s. I don't really know. I don't know why I always have to think about how old I was. <laughs> I did the first service too. I was like, it's not pertinent. But anyway, uh, I, um, I had goats growing up. Um, I always like goats. I know I'm going to lose half the room when I say this, but I don't really like dogs or cats. Sorry, everybody. But I'm not a big fan. Uh, there's one person that's amening me back there. No, it's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do like goats, though, because I was raised with them. So everyone else got used to their dogs and cats, and I like goats. They jump on things. They're cute. They eat your grass. You don't have to mow as much. There's a lot of benefits to goats. I'll keep going, but... For the sake of time, we won't worry about it. We're not here to talk about goats. But anyway, um, for a minute, we will. I, uh, I was living, at one point, I was living downtown Springfield in an apartment, and my life was chaotic. I was making horrible choices at that season of my life. I actually wound up homeless, living on top of a building I built a bunker on downtown Springfield. I was a crazy kid, 
living, trespassing, just just living wild. But anyway, in that season, I recognized uh, that I, I was saved and I just wasn't walking with the Lord. I kept pushing away his spirit as he was convicting and drawing me back in. I, w- I kept refusing that, but eventually God got a hold of my heart. And then I was like, you know what? I probably shouldn't live in a place I'm trespassing. That's probably not good to live where it's illegal. So anyway, I reached out to some church buddies and they were like, they offered me their garage for 20 bucks a month. I was like, heck yeah, I'll do that. It's better than a rooftop. So, uh, so I went and, uh, this, this garage was close to Doling Park. If any of you know where that's at in Springfield, but, um, it had like this it was a detached garage that was like cinder blocks and no insulation. Like the front, the door was like one of the ones you pull up like this, one of them old ones. You can like see through the cracks in the door. So like this little garage, I mean, it was pretty cool. I kind of pimped it out. No, I'm just kidding. But um, anyway, can you say, anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, it, it looked kind of cool by the end of it, but it was cold and all that, but it was, it was a good place. It was definitely a step up, but I was like, you know what I really need? I could really use a goat to, to to hang out with me in, in town. I was like, I couldn't have a goat when I lived downtown, but I was like, Doling Park's close enough to the country. I could probably pass with a goat, right? So anyway, I had this like little outdoor part right just outside the, uh, the garage that I tried to make like a makeshift fence with and the goat just kept escaping. So for a couple of weeks until I figured out what I was going to do, I was like, all right, I guess you're going inside. So uh, I had a goat roommate for a little while. And uh, when I leave for work, the poor goat was, you know, didn't understand what was going on. So it was scared, I guess. It would like stand in the corner facing the concrete wall. And then like when I came home hours later, it was still standing there. And I was like, this is horrible. Uh, don't judge me. Sorry, I, I like animals. But uh, anyway, uh, so I, I had the... Um, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah. So I was trying to figure it out. I was like talking to my roommates. I was like, Hey, can this goat stay in the yard? You guys have the fence, you know, can I, can it stay out there? So they eventually agreed to it. Um, assuming that it got along with the dog named Gus. So I got Job the goat and Gus the dog. It was a German shepherd. And we were like, just kind of watching, seeing what would happen. And, uh, they were not, the best friends, like Job kept trying to headbutt Gus and Gus was biting Job and uh, poor thing. Um, I actually ended up sending it off to a farm and not the kind that you parents tell your kids your animals went to, if you know what I mean. An actual farm, this, this goat I had to send off to a farm. And uh, I tell all that to tell you that my expectations were uh, definitely not met. I was fired up about getting a goat again. I was like, all right, finally I can get a goat. And it was like, oh, this is horrible. I think I have a clip of the goat if you guys want to see Job real quick. Maybe. Sorry. Maybe. Oh, that's okay. There he is. <laughs> anyway, also, there's, <laughs> apparently there's power in what you name your kids, by the way, or your, your goats too, but... Um, I've never heard any parent name their kid Job, probably because they don't want what happened to Job to happen to their kid. But um, I named that goat Job, and Job probably had a good life until he came and stayed there, and then his life was terrible, and he got bit and all this stuff. But then it was restored even more because he went off to a farm. So it's like, wow, it's like pretty much exactly the story of Job. That's totally a side point. But (laughs) the, 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 the point I'm trying to make, I'm just all over the place. The point I'm trying to make is that um, expectations aren't always met with the reality that hits us in life. We have these expectations that something's going to be good. And I think in the Christian life, we have these, this expectation of 
what God's goodness should look like because we've heard about it all of our lives. Especially if we've been raised in church, even if we haven't, you've probably heard people say God is good. But sometimes when our expectation is for God to show his goodness to us and trials hit our lives, we don't know how to handle it. It becomes difficult for us to view God the right way in the midst of our trials. We go to you know, church and we keep hearing that God's good, that he's all powerful, he's all sovereign. But even in our earnest pursuit of him, these things called trials strike our lives and our expectations go unmet. You pray for a longer fuse and traffic gets backed up on I-44. You pray for provision and your furnace goes out. The mom prays for patience for her kids and they go wild. You pray for a restored marriage, but life's problems only compound and add, add more stress to it. You've asked God with tears time and time again to be able to have a baby and you can't, still can't conceive. You're single and you're struggling because you would like for God to answer your prayer, bring someone into your life, but you seem, seem like that just doesn't seem to happen for you and everyone else around you in your friend group is getting married. When trials hit our lives, it can be easy to begin wondering if God's really as good as we've heard that he is. We're still going to church. And a lot of us, I think, you know, um, we probably wouldn't admit, I don't, you know, if you're feeling that way, you might not admit like, no, I know God's good. But you may have a little bit of numbness coming in even this morning, sitting in the chair, or maybe a little bit of a hesitation to let God fully have your trust because you know you've experienced too many trials for you to really feel like he's as good as we claim that he is or God's word claims that he is. James actually writes to a group of believers who were deceived into thinking that God isn't as good as he really is. Um, verse, I'm going to jump back in a second, but verse 16, first thing he says in our main passage is, do not be deceived. That's actually said in the present tense, which means that stop being deceived. James is writing to these believers experiencing trial and he tells them to stop being deceived. There might be some of us in the room today that have been deceived into thinking based on the trials that we're walking through that God isn't as good as he really is. I want to back up for us because James actually makes some bold statements to help us understand the context. So I, I uh, mentioned that trials can produce endurance from the first four verses from five through 11. Uh, James writes that trials can produce wisdom. Verses 12 through 18, uh, James actually makes this bold claim that trials can produce happiness. I want to look back at verse 12 for us. Uh, it says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Anybody know what the word blessed means? Happy. Yeah. It's not what you would think. Uh, Jesus, when he's preaching uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, he opens up with the Beatitudes, right? Or the, some people call them the Behapitudes, because he says, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or, or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus says a lot of statements that seem contradictory, but the truth is that there's happiness embedded in the trials that we face as believers. If we'll remain steadfast, James writes that we'll receive the crown of life. What, what is this crown of life, and when do we get it? It says that when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. 
that, that means that there, there definitely is a heavenly reward to the way that we endure through trials as believers in our faithfulness. There's definitely heavenly reward, but James actually says that we will receive the crown of life when we've stood the test. That means that God has uh, a crown of life available to those who in this life will endure through trials faithfully trusting in God. What does that crown of life look like? That life is the abundant life that Jesus came to give. He came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And this abundant life is a life of it's actual genuine happiness, by the way. I know that trials make it seem like it can't actually be happy, but God's happiness that he's promising in these seasons of trial is having joy in the midst of persecution. It's having peace when everything is going crazy. It's having comfort and contentment when you don't feel like you have enough resource. God's crown of, uh, of life that he offers to those who endure through trials is readily available, it's accessible, um, to every believer who will just remain f- steadfast under trial. He can give us that happiness, that genuine uh, comfort by God. So that's verse 12, but I wanted to back up to there because that kind of opens up this section where James knows his readers are going to talk about happiness, about happiness when we're literally running for our lives right now. You're going to talk about happiness when I just lost my job, you're going to talk to me about happiness when I, I just had a loss in my family. That, that can seem like a difficult thing to understand, it, and it is, but James knows that there's going to be objections to, to what he just said. So he kind of clears that up. Verse 13 through 15, James tells us about what God does not do. And then in 16 through 18, which is where we'll focus once we get there, um, on what God does do, what, do, what God does give. So in verses 13 through 15, when trials hit our lives, it almost can seem like God is tempting us toward evil. Let's say we lose a job and have no way to care for our family. The temptation would be to take it from someone else. But God's not luring and enticing us to steal. He's allowing a trial that can produce genuine happiness but our flesh wants to um, handle things in our own strength, and that looks like giving into temptation. So, so James is trying to make this distinction. It's the same word. Pastor Mark actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it's the same word for trial as it is for temptation. So it's interesting. James is right using this play on words saying, yeah, in trial, trusting God remains steadfast, but when temptation comes, know that that's not from God and it's not of God. God is not a tempter. God will allow trials. He may even have great benefit and intention in the trial that we're facing, but he does not tempt us with evil. God um, allows these trials because he wants us to be brought into this place of abiding that we've talked so much about, where we're totally dependent and trusting in our Lord, that we know that even though I'm walking through this, God is good in every season and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to pursue him wholeheartedly. I'm going to lead others to him. I love Jesus. He's good. But our flesh objects. And like it says in Galatians chapter five, that um, the, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. So when, when we're experiencing trial, there's the temptation in our flesh to desire things that will temporarily give us some sort of earthly fulfillment. But James is saying, don't take the bait of that. That's not from God. What God has is good gifts that come down from above with 
with him, there's no variation or shadow due to change. So um, I want to, I got lost in my notes. I apologize. Um, but yeah, so God will test us, but he will not tempt us to evil. I think it's interesting too. I just want to mention to you guys, there's no mention of Satan in this part where it talks about temptation. Verse 13 through 15, talking about, I always think of like, oh, Satan's really messing with me. It says that when we're enticed and lured by our own desire, that means that we have sinful desires. Since we were born in Adam, sinful, born into this world because of the, the sin that's, that has plagued all of humanity, um, we have the natural desire. Satan doesn't have to come tempt somebody uh, all the time because we already have our flesh that has its own desires that are earthly. So I think it's interesting that we, and important that we recognize that we don't need to always be giving Satan too much credit but that our flesh is always going to desire the things of this world, but our spirit that we were born with when God uh, made us born again by his spirit and gave us new life, our spirit craves the things of God. It craves Jesus and it craves to know him and to serve and to love him. So um, temptation also, I want to mention that temptation is not sin. It shows us its progression in these verses. I think it's easy for us. I don't know uh, I said this first service, nobody raised their hand except for me. So I'll just admit it for all of us. I felt shamed, ashamed and guilty for having temptation when I didn't even act on that temptation. It's when we entertain temptation that it becomes sinful. And it says that, you know, it, it's uh, temptation uh, can be entertained. Temptation is the womb of sin, not just temptation in and of itself. And that's important for us to know because Satan wants us to think that we've already lost the battle as soon as we experience any form of temptation. But the truth is that we have that opportunity in that moment to say no to it because we recognize that Jesus, our Lord, was tempted and he overcame that with the word of truth that delivered him out of those things, uh, subjecting himself to the Father and always obeying the will of the Father. So temptation isn't sin, but entertaining temptation is uh, what leads to sin. And then it says that sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Not talking about eternally, not talking about heaven or hell. It's talking about death to relationships, death, uh, things that are corruption, things that are eroding away, things that are not helpful or useful. And you'll see that contrast in verses 16 through 18. So I just wanted to kind of set us up for what James is saying. He makes the bold claim, trials can produce happiness. And then he says, um, it's not that God tempts us when we're experiencing those things. That's our flesh and we need to run from that. But what God does give, God doesn't give those things, but God does give good things. And that's what we're gonna focus in on for the rest of our time here. So God's gifts is what I've entitled the message today. Um, and I wanna cover three quick things with us. First thing is the standard of God's gifts. Secondly, the source of God's gifts. And lastly, the security of God's gifts. So uh, first thing is the standard of God's gifts. We see that in verse 16 through the beginning of verse 17, it says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. When trials hit our lives, we can doubt that God is good, right? We've established that, that he's the source of everything good. But uh, again, James doesn't want them to be deceived by these trials into misunderstanding the character of God. He says, stop being deceived. Don't take the bait. But then he calls on my beloved brothers. 
and James can pack a punch in his letter, that's for sure. But um, he calls them beloved. Like his heart for them is a pastor's heart, desiring to see them follow uh, in the steps of Christ and, and grow in maturity. But then he also calls them brothers, which I wanted to remind us once again that this whole letter isn't written so that we can get saved. It's not evangelistic in nature. It's uh, for the purpose of us maturing in our faith as believers who are walking through trials. And the implication from verse 16 is that even as believers, we can still be tempted into believing lies of the enemy. We can still be deceived as believers and start to misunderstand or misappropriate God's character and how we view God. So James is writing and saying, don't, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't give in to the feeling that God isn't as good as you say he is because of the fact that you've experienced these trials. And yeah, some of them are horribly difficult to walk through. But he says every twice, I think that's interesting. Sometimes we don't recognize that. We, we think that some good gifts and some perfect gifts are from God. Um, but he says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And there's not much difference between these words, good and perfect, but it's, it's kind of just to, to reemphasize it. But um, good can be used as useful and then perfect as fulfilling. So everything that's useful in our lives and everything that's truly fulfilling comes from God. There, that's God's gift. The world gives us things that lead to death, but God gives us things that are useful that fulfill us. So um, God is good, so we can trust him in our trials. We can turn to him in our temptations. We're not the provider, but God is. Um, I mentioned at the end last service, I'm gonna go ahead and do this now. I, I was talking to Pastor Ryan this a uh, few days ago, a couple days ago, whenever it was, and I was trying to figure out what to name uh, this message. Not that the title is that important, but sometimes it kind of sets the stage for what you're talking about. Um, I was thinking about what were you expecting? Just thinking about the trials that hit our lives, it can, it can, um, we have this expectation of what God should look like and when it doesn't pan out. But I, could, I thought that could come across a little bit discouraging and that's not how I meant it. I was like, I don't know. I, I was thinking about that or God's gifts. Anyway, I get home from that conversation and my daughter Isla walks up to me and hands me this book and wants me to read it to her and it's called God's Gifts. I thought that was just incredible. I want to read uh, just the first page out of it. She had me read it to her like three times um, that night. And it says, we thank you, God, our father, for every earthly good, for life and love and clothing and for our daily food. And then it says, please give us hearts to thank you for every blessing sent. And with everything you send us, let us be content. I thought it was interesting that the prayer, even in this kid's book, says, please give us hearts to thank you. It's, it's a prayer for a posture of a heart to thank God for every blessing sent. Is it possible that some of the the blessings that God has sent us comes packaged in a trial? Is it possible that some of the things that God has preordained for us to walk through are going to be used for good, even though right now it's hard to see what that looks like? But if we trust that God is good and that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, who doesn't change, when we trust that, we can recognize that God really is good. And we need these hearts to thank God for every blessing sent. So anyway, you can pick this up at Mardell's. No, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, the next thing I want to talk to us about is the source of God's gifts. So we looked at the standard of God's gifts, that they're good, they're perfect, they're useful and fulfilling. Uh, the source of God's gifts, look, look with me in verse 17, the second part of it, it says this. Uh, I'll start in the beginning of it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And, sorry, paper notes, sorry guys. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Okay, um, Father of lights. He calls uh, God the Father of lights. This is the only time in scripture, actually, that we see God referred to as the Father of lights. So um, it kind of, piques my interest, like, okay, why do you use that title for God? Uh, James is um, trying to make the point that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, and that he doesn't change. So James is highlighting two attributes of God, God's goodness and God's immutability, which means that he does not change. Malachi 3.6 says that I, the Lord, do not change. And that is a really good thing when you have a good God. Because that means not only is God good, but that goodness will never change and that we can bank on every promise he's ever given us. That means that everything that uh, he's ever told us that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that, he's, that, that we are um, heirs of God, that, that we have a heavenly inheritance, the fact that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, all of these blessings, all of these promises that God has given us, we can bank on not only because he's good, but because he doesn't change. So the source of God's gift is that um, God, it comes from above, coming down from the father of lights. Another way to understand this is the father of lights, that, that title is like the sun, moon, and stars, which they, they uh, cast a shadow. And as things rotate and move, the shadow moves. He, he's, uh, he's helping us to see that that God doesn't change like, like lights even do. Um, even though he is the light of the world, he doesn't change though in, in that. But um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, I want to read what the world offers. We're talking about the gifts that come from above. I want to talk about what the world offers instead. Kind of look at both sides of this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, for all that is in the, is it up there? World. All that is in the world, so that's earthly. And then it lists three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You guys see that? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, there's three types of temptation, three types of sin that encapsulates all sin in, in the world. And it's those three things right there. We'll see it at the very beginning. The first temptation we see Eve is... Uh, Genesis chapter three, verse six, I'll go ahead and read it for us. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food as the desires of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes, the, the desires of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. That's what the world offers is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, things that temporarily in an earthly way can satisfy for a very short period of time and then leaves us empty. When Eve and Adam took the bait of that temptation, they, they brought sin into the world. Romans chapter five contrasts Jesus and Adam talks, talking about uh, the first Adam bringing one trespass brought sin into the whole world. All of us are born into sin because of Adam, but in Jesus, 
he never gave in to sin. It says he was tempted and tested at every point, yet without sin. So where they failed by giving into the things of the world, Jesus instead entrusted himself to the Father. And we see that in Matthew chapter 4. I won't take the time to walk us through it because we don't have time this morning. But Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness after being driven there by the Spirit. And the ways that he was tempted was the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus never fell. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father and believed that every good thing and every perfect thing comes down from above. And Jesus himself was going to be that good thing that could bring life to the whole world. So God's gifts aren't like the things that the world offers. Lastly, I want to talk to us about the security of God's gifts. And uh, Lacey, would you mind coming up? Thanks so much. The security of God's gifts. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 again for us. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's security in God's gifts. It says there's no variation or shadow. God doesn't change. The gifts that he's given us, Romans chapter 11, verse 29, says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That God's gifts, that his goodness, he's not going to take back on us whenever we screw up. That we can continue to trust him even in a season of trial because we know that God's character is unchanging and it's good. And I know there are people sitting here today that are in the midst of a trial that makes it difficult to believe that sometimes. And I'm not faulting you for that. But I do want to encourage you with what God's word says about it. And it's not that that God wants to just test us all the time, see how you react to that trial. That's not as hard at all. Instead, God knows that there are things in our hearts and in our lives that, that will only be transformed by the pressure of a challenge and a trial that only he can sustain us through. So God allows these things in his sovereignty because he has greater divine purposes. God sees the whole scope of things. We only see what's right in front of us. He sees the end from the beginning. He's eternal in nature and he calls us as he is, his eternal possession to see trials differently. Even if we can't see them, we can trust in the one who does. There's security in God's gifts because he doesn't take them away from us when we screw up. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the word of God. That's the gospel, the good news that we can be born again. We're born in Adam, sinful, lost, broken because of the sin in the garden and the fact that all of us are born into sin. But then we can be born again by the spirit of God when we trust in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is this, that we believe in the one whom God has sent. That is eternal life. We have present possession. We have eternal life. There's security in the name of Jesus. We spend our whole lives seeking security and significance in this life. We'll never find it outside the will and the person of Jesus Christ. He came into this world offering security to those who would trust in him. He said, I'll hold you in my arms. I'll love you. Nothing that is given to me by the Father will I lose. Jesus is a good God. There's security in his gifts and his goodness. 
That was pretty funny. <laughs> You'll have to show me what that game is after. I'm just kidding. God's greatest gift. Oh. <laughs> Not a fun game. Then. No, it's good. Oh, man. I want to read to us from a passage that kind of encapsulates all three of these points. Um, I won't take the time to explain all of it because it's a decently long passage, but look for uh, the standard of God's gifts that he's good, the source of God's gift that it comes from above, and the security of God's gifts that, that we can hold to the promises of God. Look for those three things as we read this passage. John chapter 6, verse 31. A little bit of context. Jesus is kind of going back and forth with some religious people at, the, uh, at a feast of booze, I believe it is. And... Uh, He's talking back and forth with them, and they're like, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? You know, they don't, they don't believe that he is God. And then they say this, so Jesus plays into that. He, they said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When we're facing trials and temptations and struggles in this life, we begin to doubt the goodness and the character of God. But James is reminding us here that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's always good. And the greatest gift he's given us, he, he reminds us in verse 18, he, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of power, not by your works, not by what you could do, but by his goodness, but by his love. He has provided a way for us to know him by the true bread that comes down from heaven, and that's in the form of Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. For those who could never make their way to God, God came down to us and offered us life. We're eternally grateful for that truth. And that blessing alone can carry us through life. But we got to understand that everything that we face, that God still loves you. Don't doubt that God loves you. Don't doubt that he's good to you. He is. And when you're walking through a season of trial, God's, God's compassionate. He cares about you, but he also wants you to see from his perspective that there is good even in that because God's good and he's unchanging. I want to pray for us and I'm going to invite Pastor Ryan up to close us out. But before I do that, if there's anyone in the room that you've never received the free gift that Jesus came to give. Romans chapter 5, it calls it over and over and over. It calls it the free gift, the free gift. It's not like the trespass that came through Adam Jesus came into the world and offered life freely. You know what makes something free? Us not having to do anything to earn or purchase it. 
Jesus purchased it for us. It's not that it's cheap grace. It cost a lot. It just didn't cost us. It cost Jesus. He gave his life for us, and we freely receive that. And then as we receive that gift, he gives us his spirit, and he begins to guide us through life so that we can trust and walk with him all of our days in obedience and submission to him. So if you're in the room this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance here in a second to to just respond to that. Um, I don't always do this, um, but I, I would like to say too that it's always good to remember that it's not a prayer that saves us. It's not walking down to the front that saves you. It's not a conversation you have with someone. It's not baptism. It's not any of those things. It's not church membership. What it is is trusting in the only one who could save you, recognizing I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm broken without Jesus, but he gave his life so that I could know God and know him eternally. So trust in Jesus today if you haven't. I invite you to do that. If you have any questions, then we have a lot of people that would love to talk to you through those things. Uh, come up, come forward, raise your hand, whatever that looks like. If you need prayer for anything, feel free uh, to stick around and people will pray with you. But right now, I just want to talk a, a minute too to the believers in the room who are either experiencing trial, but, or even if you're not, just to be tuned into what, what that will look like the next time you're walking through something you're struggling in. We got to remember James' words here that God is good. He's unchanging. Every gift, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. I'm going to pray for us. If you want to talk to someone about what it means to be saved, really just trust in Christ. But for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We're thankful for the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the fact that even in the midst of trial, when we feel abandoned or forsaken, God, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, God, that every single thing that you've ever promised us, you will come through on. God, I I pray for the hearts that are heavy in the room. God, I pray that you would comfort them. God, that you would, we know that you are our comforter. We, We know that you care so deeply about your children that you give good gifts. So God, I pray that we continue to entrust ourselves to you, to your will, to your plan. God, to have an eternal perspective that you can offer us through the wisdom of Christ. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for making a way for us to have life in your name. God, we pray that you be glorified, honored, and exalted in our lives. God, that we continue to be more and more humble as we see and seek to exalt you. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.